Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. You're very welcome to another episode of the Scaling Your Business podcast, episode 162 of the year, which might be the last episode of 2021. And we're delighted to be joined by Rory O'Connor, the founder and CEO of Scurry. Rory, you're very welcome to the podcast. Thanks very much, Ian. Delighted to be here. I'm delighted to have you, man. Um, typical fashion of the show, Rory, is first couple of minutes getting to know you, early influences, and then we jump into the good part of the podcast. But let's rewind the clock. If I've done my research correctly, you grew up in Wexford. Correct. Any favorite standout memories of your childhood, things like pre-15 years old? Yeah, I love I love being outside in the outdoors. So, you know, we've got the sea, uh, which is a big part of my life uh, and the outdoors. Um, so anything that's outdoors, I loved, uh, whether it was camping, you know, kind of fishing, surfing, um, being on the beach, swimming, etc., snorkeling, anything like that. Uh, boat, water and outdoors can't beat it. I know you're uh, a yellow belly and you're living there now at the moment, but you did study in Waterford IT. According to your LinkedIn, it was entrepreneurship. So I'm curious to know, why did you pick that to get a degree in? Uh, So I did that. um, I kind of left after school. I went to WIT for about a year. Didn't do, do do so well in WIT for the first time that I went there. I got a job uh, after one year uh, in uh, Waterford Crystal, and then I went back to study. And I did most of my study after going back. So I did uh, a National Cert Diploma degree and uh, then MBA and all kinds of other things afterwards. So, uh, yeah, I found the studying really a lot easier once I knew what I was doing. Uh, I found it very difficult in the beginning, kind of picking something and finding it relevant for for me. Uh, I see that a lot with a lot with kids as well, um, with the current education system that they're not really sure what they want to do and they get lost. And uh, keep reminding them that uh, you know it's important to uh, you know just go out and enjoy yourself, kind of learn in the in the world, and then you know you can focus on what you what you what you want to do. Uh, you're not a failure because you don't can't decide what you are what you want to be at 16 or 17. That's a that's a solid message to spread, Rory. And uh, you're now well qualified as well. Um, one more question before we move on to the main part of the podcast. It's around impact and influence. People can usually count on one hand the number of people that have had an impact on them, a positive impact on them in their early years, whether it's a, a, a teacher, a, acquaintance, a close friend, a family member. member. Uh, and what I mean by impact in their early years, such an impact in their early years that it's help them become the person they are today does any one particular person spring to mind for you yeah i think in when i joined uh water crystal uh there was a uh there was a guy there who i, I worked for and he was the uh, head of customer service uh, a guy called george mcdonald and um yeah he just uh you know kind of saw something in me uh, encouraged me to go back and do my education encouraged me to kind of you know could do 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 my best in work and i think uh you're right. Having somebody like that can you know can change change somebody's life, and um, 
yeah, I think he was a big, big influence uh, on me. And then as I went on after that, there was a couple of other people. Um, but I think that was the biggest influence really at that stage in early formative years of uh, my life. Yeah. Well, shout out to him. You've mentioned Waterford Crystal twice now. I'm assuming on your LinkedIn, it was called Waterford Wedgwood. Wedgwood. That's the holding company, if I'm correct. Exactly. Yeah. So gotcha. it was PLC. Yeah. So you started there in 1991. You spent, oh, I was going to say almost, you spent over 13 years there. The question right. I have here is what, Knowing now that you're the CEO of Scurry, what lessons did you tie, did you carry from your time there to now being the CEO of Scurry? And what I mean by lessons, any kind of skills or behaviors that you honed or worked on during those 13 years that still stand to you today? Yeah, I think um, the I learned a lot there. I think it was very formative in terms of my development. Um, started kind of right at the very, almost at the at the very bottom. Um, it I think one of the one of the main things was that if you worked hard, uh, you know, there was uh, all kinds of opportunities for you. So you know, with with work and dedication, you could uh, you could make progress. Um, it had all the mechanisms to help you do that in terms of support and in terms of education, etc. But also kind of mentorship and opportunities because it was a larger company. There was plenty of opportunities for you to move every couple of years. So I essentially probably moved a role and and uh, kind of got promoted nearly every second year. Um, and you know I kind of planned that maybe maybe. F- you know, after five or six years, I'd move on, but there was always another nice job and kind of ended up in there kind of uh, uh, 13 years. And the other thing was um, I moved across a couple of areas. So I, I started off in customer service, went into sales and uh, spent some time in marketing. Um, so, yeah, I got a kind of a pretty wide um, kind of understanding of how the sales and marketing operations work. Very cool. You're now the CEO of Scurry. Rather than me give the 30-second commercial elevator pitch, whatever you want to call it, you do a much better job. So the mic is yours, Rory. Yeah, so Scurry is basically a carrier management platform. What we do is we integrate uh, delivery uh, options to retailers to make it easier for their customers to receive their goods. Uh, it's quite as simple as that. And uh, that um, seems a, a quite a simple thing, but actually behind it all, it's uh, not quite rocket science, but it's a little bit complicated. And uh, we take that complexity away, take the friction out of it for, for our retail partners. There was a blog put on your site, and I don't know if you were the author of it, so you, you might not be familiar with it, but it was around our five delivery predictions for 2022. And one thing that shocked me was, it says UK returns, not global. UK returns are predicted to grow by over 27% by 2023, costing retailers an estimated £5.6 billion. Have you your own thoughts on how this, just that issue alone, returns can perhaps you know, be improved or, or tackled? Yeah. Yeah, I do. I think, you know, returns needs to, we need to think, uh, you know, sustainability really. And, um, you know, the, the way retailers sell, uh, it, you know, impacts returns. Of course, there's some things that, you know, when you have a, uh, 
you know, cooling off periods and, you know, kind of selling regulations and laws that means that people can actually return goods, which is good, obviously, for the for, for the consumer, but it does have a consequence. So there are serial returners to people who buy five or six items uh, with a view of, uh, you know, wearing one and returning the other, you know, four. Uh, that has uh, impacts on the, uh, you know, on, on the supply chain and not only on the supply chain, the supply chain can manage it, but, you know, for sort of sustainability in, in the long term. So I think education uh, for you know individuals retailers need to you know kind of encourage people to be just a little bit more thoughtful about you know the the impact of of, of returns because not just the bottom line it, it does impact the bottom line for retailers but they've built that into their margin they understand that that business model you know uh, and if the customers are doing that they've kind of built a management system around it uh, I think the important thing is education as the consumer as the the impact of taking you know five products and uh, and and returning four of them uh, on on the environment etc. It, it is significant. I also learned that not all the products, if you were to return them, actually go back on the shelf to be sold to other customers. So it can have a big impact on the environment. Yeah, I mean, if you think of it, if it's particularly if it's kind of uh, you know you're buying something for twenty euros, you know the cost of getting it back. So the cost of a um, you know, a failed delivery in the UK is 125 sterling. So, you know, the cost of getting it back, getting it restocked, cleaned, etc., is far greater than the, the standard cost of that item. So, unfortunately, it's probably more economically viable to destroy the products um, than to actually, uh, um, than, than, than to have them returned and to, to restock and, and to sell again. Well, I'll leave a link to your LinkedIn, your company website, and I mentioned this again before we finish, and also that blog as well, if anybody wants to go and read it, rather interesting. Um, there's many blind spots in businesses, and as the CEO, I'm sure you're aware of a number of them. Just to give you a, a, an insight into some of the ones that I'm taking in my head are not creating a culture of accountability. This is businesses that are scaling and growing quite fast, uh, not having a process for onboarding, not building the bench so if someone leaves, you don't know how to re- who to replace them with. Um, when you look at other businesses in the early stage, let's say kind of uh, just below five million in in revenue, uh, what are some of the blind spots that you see time and time again in those businesses? That like, is there a common blind spot that you see they keep falling down on that if they just tweaked it or removed it or improved it, their business would be in a much better place revenue wise. Um, you know, it's always it's always easy anecdotally to look back. I think uh, on on these and you know whether there are blind spots. And I think in some instances they're known uh, they're known blind blind spots. So you've always got you've got you know as a scaling business you've got limited resources uh, and you may you can only focus on a few things. So whilst we do definitely have uh, and I certainly have uh, blind spots. In some cases, you know that that is the case, and you're focusing on. You know, we always try to focus on three things. Um, so talk talk to our um, you know our team about you know what's what's the big three things that you want to do this year, this quarter, this month, this week, this day, and that means if you're going to do three, there's a whole lot of other things that you're not that that you're not able to do. And hopefully, if you pick on the three things that are most important, um, then you know the, you get those done. It kind of covers or it kind of uh, compensates for the other things that you uh, that that you're not doing but by having focus means you're not doing something else so yeah i mean we could always onboard our, our, our you know our employees a lot better um but in the current environment finding employees is really difficult so um you know finding we we focus on trying to find employees 
Uh, we do a decent job, I hope, at onboarding them, but we could always do it a lot better, I think. And um, yeah, so there are, I would say, plenty of blind spots at the moment. We focus it the other way on what are the three or four things that we have to do, that we must do, that are so important uh, for, the, uh, for the company and get every one of our kind of leaders in each of their areas to focus on the tr tr what's the three things I must, I must do. Uh, and then cover as much as you can as the other, as you need to, but you know, what's the key for three things that you must focus on. You talk about finding employees, and I know you're hiring rapidly. There was an Irish Times article I read on you guys. Um, it was, you want to treble your workforce over the next two years to more than 120 employees. That's really yeah. cool to hear. Um, so focusing on hiring, there's a, there's a uh, well-known uh, Harvard Business Review article, a study by Harvard Business Review actually as well, that says the cost of a bad hire is five times the annual salary of that bad hire. So costly mistake on not just the, the employee, but missed opportunities is what makes up most of that kind of five times the annual salary. What does your hiring process look like so that you can avoid making as like more of those than you necessarily need to make? Yeah, I think one of the key things for us is culture. Um, so we have a culture interview. So we have a number of interviews in the process so we have initially what we call a technical interview we uh, interview people technically for the role are they able to technically um, do the role uh, achieve the um, objectives that we'd have set out for that role and um, so that's one but a second probably more most important and where probably most employees fail in terms of the uh the interview processes we look at the uh interview interview our, our, our potential employees from a cultural point of view we have five key values in the company uh and you know that interview is all around those values there's no right and wrong answers to those questions that we ask usually it's how do people kind of apply the, the values that, uh, that, that that we've set out in Scurry. Those values are, you know, kind of published, uh, but it's, we love our customers. Uh, we love innovation. We love lean. We love success. We, we love fun and family. And, um, you know, that's that's what we assess people on is how do they fit in, in terms of the, the, the Scurry culture. And, you know, when somebody comes and they're looking to join the organization, it's a two-way process. So, they're taking a huge risk and they're moving from their existing organization, existing company, existing job, et cetera, to come to you. And, you know, it's a big, you know, it's a big risk for them. And you're taking a risk on the other side and saying that, look, you know, will this person, will this person fit? So it's a two way street. So I think it's really important that we assess uh, employees and give the chance for the employees to see what the values are that we, um, that we live by in Scurry. And uh, if they kind of get through that, um, that interview process, we may have a kind of a test or something like that uh, that that helps us then kind of finally assess, um, you know, whether they're able to do the job. And then, like you said before, onboarding and uh, you know, get, getting people to uh, be coached and mentored is, is is the next important thing in that in, in that process. But mm -hmm. I think the culture interview is probably one of the most important things we found over the over the years. Interesting. There's a, there's, a, there's a tool I regularly use called CARE. Uh, it's just like a, a quadrant and it stands for keep, attain, recapture and expand. And it's, you look at it kind of once a quarter and fill out accounts. So accounts that you want to keep, ones that you want to attain, recapture and expand. And it kind of gives you a picture of, you know, starting how you plan to kind of grow over the next quarter, if not year. When you look at growth over the next 12 to 18 months, focusing just on the A and to the attain how do you plan to continue to grow and land net new logos? Previous guests have said things like 
acquisitions, uh, entering new markets, hiring more sales reps. For you, what does the next 12 to 18 months look like so that you can continue to grow? Yeah, for us, it's uh, we're building our sales and marketing capability. So I suppose up to now, um, you know, Scurry has really, really kind of gotten to, you know, probably 10, we, we, we've shipped this year about 10.5 billion in gross merchandise value. Um, you know, the... Uh, we've, you know, a decent number of accounts there, over, you know, kind of a hundred kind of really good kind of key accounts in the UK. And there's probably over maybe 15,000 customers using our uh, our software out there. But we believe we just kind of got to the point of, uh, you know, to some extent, uh, product market fit. And we're now in the scaling phase. So, you know, we've gone serious a uh, so that money that we're putting together is putting together a sales and marketing team so for us the growth now is uh we have been very successful in the irish and uk market uh, but there's lots of opportunities still there uh, we see other european um uh, markets where we've been successful initially like germany in particular we've been very successful in the last year or so um so building the sales team really and stepping into some new markets in kind of mostly Northern Europe and European markets. Um, so that's where we see, see the growth, growth will come from. Interesting, you talk about, you know, your, our you know, that kind of model, but, you know, our existing customer base, we're a SaaS model. So the grow, land and expand type of uh, model is also really important to uh, nurture existing customers. We have a very low churn rate in, in Scurry. Um, so churn rate is extremely low, very high net promoter score. Uh, so keeping focused on our net promoter score, focusing on our customers, which is one of our values. Um, we tend not to lose customers uh, and the customers that we have tend to grow uh, with us and uh, beyond, you know, in, you know, faster than us uh, in, in, a, in a lot of cases. So uh, that's fantastic. It certainly is. How important are relationships? Oh, absolutely. Totally yeah, important. Everything's about relationships, uh, relationships with your employees, relationship with your suppliers, relationships with your customers. Um, I believe that, you know, business is done through, you know, people do business with, with people um, and relationships are probably one of the most important things. So having a great product is great. But if you have a great relationship um, with your customers, sometimes they can forgive where you have maybe not as good uh, product in a particular area as your as your um, maybe competitor, but they know that you can provide the service and you're willing to work on that and fix that for them. So I think uh, relationships are absolutely key. Is there a tool out there that you can't live without? And I have a second part to that question. And I asked that question because I saw that you posted on LinkedIn within the last say two months about a tool that you use never heard before called Office Vibe. Oh yeah. Yeah. So Office Vibe, we use uh, internally Office Vibe. We've been using it since uh, very early days in the company. And what Office Vibe is, uh, it provides a pulse of from, from your employees um, every week. So it asks a few simple questions every week of your employees around various uh, areas, you know, how they feel about um, support, mentorship, uh, you know, physical environment, um, virtual environment, all that kind of stuff. And um, uh, it just gives me back a dashboard in terms of how our employees feel. And, you know, our employees often put in, you know, kind of really interesting comments. I think I posted one of them uh, there recently is probably what you saw where somebody had uh, kind of talked about, you know, how they could 
grow and develop within the company. Mm. Um, and I think at the point I was making is sometimes, and rightly so, we kind of look at all the problems that we have and we try to fix them. But, uh, you know, often there's, you know, some great stuff that goes on in an organization. And, you know, it's important to look at that too and see if you can do more of that because that's obviously what's important for uh, employees or customers as well, similarly. Um, you know what you do really well and not just fix the stuff that you do badly but can you do the real stuff you do really well even better two final questions for you Rory have you got a personal definition of what success means to you uh, yeah I do have a personal definition of success I mean I think what's really important is to reflect on what success is so it's a combination of some personal uh, objectives that I have and uh, and some business objectives. And, you know, each year I take some time uh, a little bit earlier than this in the year to actually look at the year that's gone by and kind of reflect on, you know, what, you know, how, how do they do against the objectives that I set, reset them for the, for the new year. Um, and do a few exercises like I would, uh, you know, what, what may have held me back, what, you know, help me to achieve what, what, what has happened, what did I feel good about, what did I feel bad about, all that kind of stuff, and just take a day to, you know, go through that, set some objectives. So the objectives and success are quite, um, you know, it, they're, they're targeted and it's set for each year period and it can change over time. And um, I think it's important to do that. And again, try and keep it simple, not have 20 things, but try and get it down to, you know, that kind of three or four things that uh, you can do and work on each um, uh, quarter and break it down to, well, what am I going to do each week? And uh, even down to each day, because if you, if you have a, something that's, you know, for you is success, you need to work on it all the time and you need to be moving towards, you know, that, that success There's no point in just putting it down in a notebook and closing the notebook and saying, yeah, I hope that's going to happen. Um, you've got to, you've got to work on if it's that important to you and you think that's success for you, whatever that may be. Um, for some of us, it's, you know, it's about, you know, I don't know, uh, walking, uh, you know, walking 20k for somebody else is climbing a mountain for somebody else. It's, uh, you know, uh, having family, whatever it is, yeah, you know, you need to, you just need to write that down, I think, and work on it. Um, if you leave it to chance, it's left to chance. Agreed. Agreed. Final question. If you were the Minister for Education and you had the ability to add a new mandatory subject to the secondary school curriculum, what would it be and why? Mandatory subject. Whoa. Uh, um, I think I, I would change that if I was Minister for Education, I would find a way to uh, teach um, important subjects like maths differently. Um, so I think maths is just so important. Uh, I wasn't great at it myself. I've gotten a lot better because, you know, you need to be able to you know, to everything that we do in business as, you know, there's a, an underlying kind of metric and statistics, et cetera. And um, I think that, you know, we should relook at the way that we teach uh, a lot of subjects to make it interesting uh, for, 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 for people. I don't know if the Leaving Cert really um, suits everybody. And, and I think having, and I, I don't know what the, what the better way is, but if I had time and I was the Minister for Education and, you know, I had a team that could actually invest some time in that, I would certainly look at, see, is there a, is there a better way to teach subjects like maths, which are so essential to, uh, to everybody uh, in, 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 what, in what most people do. Um, yeah. Rory O'Connor, founder and CEO of Scurry. It's been a pleasure having you on the podcast and I wish you continued success going forward.
delighted to be on, Brian. Thanks very much. Beautiful morning, get the sun in my morning bed.